What's up, everybody? This is Paul Critchley, president of New England Lean Consulting. Welcome to another episode of the New England Lean podcast. This is yet another episode uh, up that we recorded up at the GBMP conference in Springfield, Mass. Uh, it's going on a couple of weeks now. So we were very busy, as you uh, no doubt have noticed. Uh, we got quite a few episodes recorded. This one's on the shorter side. It's uh, all told, it's going to just be under 20 minutes, and it was with Lisa Boisvert, who's somebody I've been connected with on LinkedIn for a long time, and she's semi-local. She's right, uh, just outside of Boston, so she's not far. Uh, it was just kind of funny that uh, we'd never crossed paths before, but of course, COVID uh, helped that out, certainly. So it was great to finally meet her in person. We talked a lot about Hoshin planning, which Lisa wrote a book uh, several years ago now, I think it came out in 2016, called Reflections, excuse me, Reflections on Hoshin Planning. Um, so we talk a lot about that. She has a lot of great insight to that. And Hoshin is one of those things that, uh, you know, I think we talk, uh, we talk about a lot, but I don't think we do it a lot. Um, so it was a really great conversation, and I learned a lot just in those 20 minutes, and I hope you will too. So as always, I hope you like it. I hope you learn something from it. Talk to you soon. All right, welcome to the New England Lean Podcast. Again, we're broadcasting from, recording from the GBMP Northeast Lean Conference, and I'm with Lisa Boisvert. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Nice. Nicole. Well, it's nice to meet you finally. Like, we've been connected on LinkedIn for I don't know how long, yes, and it's, it's so true. nice. And actually, we get to, you know, I've been meaning to hit you up to be on the podcast, and now mm -hmm. it's just kismet that it's actually, we get to see each other in person and do it. So yeah. I think it's extra cool. I do too, thanks. So thanks, thanks for being here and thanks for coming down. Where'd you come from? Uh, drove in from Boston, so not too bad. Ah. Not too far. And it's a right, big night last night. We beat the Yankees. We did. So that's very exciting. You can't see it, but I'm sporting my Boston Red Sox <laughs> face mask today. Made up a little bit for our, our Patriots loss. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that was a rough one. Still that rooting was... for the home teams. Nice. So you've been a consultant for a couple of decades now, right? <laughs> I started my practice in 1999. Nice. Yeah, I came up through the quality improvement world, statistical process control, taught a lot of histograms, control charts, so, uh, and over time evolved that into uh, potion planning, which is the, uh, the quality community's um, method for uh, aiming and organizing our quality improvement projects so that they're all, everything we work on is contributing to the strategic direction of the organizations. What a concept. Yeah, what an idea. I let's know, right? All, you should write a book about right. that. <laughs> well, in fact, I did, Paul. <laughs> Thanks for that. It's called Reflections on Ocean Planning. Right, the greatest segue in podcast <laughs> history, ladies and gentlemen. Bumpy, but appreciated. Well, no, yeah, hey, thank hey. you. But yeah, no, and actually, it's so that's actually why I, you know, had thought to reach out to you eons ago um, about your book because Hoshin Connery is something that you know, as a fellow, well, I'm a lean consultant, so we spend I spend a lot of our time. Uh, maybe on the more tact tactical kind of stuff, and then eventually we'll have some longer-term clients that we get into that kind of discussion with. Um, but it takes a little while to get there, so I'm really interested to hear your perception and how did you come up with, how did you go from like SPC and CP and CPK and histograms and Pareto charts to Hoshin Khan, <laughs> like how'd you, how'd that come about? Yeah, I, I had a, a, a lucky, uh, a dumb luck really, opportunity at, when I started my career in the mid-90s. I worked at Gold QPC as the research director. They're the publishers of the Memory Jogger. 
um, and a nonprofit, the first, uh, one of the first groups to work with Deming, Dr. Deming. And so I got to meet Deming, I got to meet uh, Dr. Yoji Kao, and, and so for me, Hoshin wasn't really a, Hoshin was part of the mix from, a, from the start, but it's a, uh, when I began my journey through quality, you know, it, it was, it's considered a, probably one of a, a more advanced um, methodologies in the suite that uh, the folks who did the work in the 1950s, you know, put together. Um, and, you know, I was learning from people who were doing it, and it was, I wasn't at the time invited into the executive suite as often as I am now. So I think it's always been on, Hoshin's always been part of my work, but I, I it's become something I can uh, focus on exclusively now, uh, having been at it for a while, so. Nice. Yeah. And that, so, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll like, we talk sometimes mission, vision, and values, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and sometimes we'll help clients with, you know, a one-year, three-year plan or something like that. So, like I said, we, we sort of dabble in it a little bit. Uh, but what's always interesting to me is sometimes we have these conversations. And people are like, well, we have our mission statement. You know, and they'll point to the wall, you can't see me, but you, you know, they'll point to the wall and it'll be on a banner or something. And it'll be some variation of, you know, we strive to be the supplier of choice for insert product or service here, uh, based on, you know, cost, quality, on-time delivery, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know what? That mission statement could be anybody's. Mm -hmm. And it's basically the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talk, you know, strategy deployment or Hoshin Connery, mm -hmm. how, can you talk a little bit more about how is that different than pointing to a mission statement on the wall? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the mission statement is important though because it's a guiding principle for the organization. It says basically what business are we in? Mm -hmm. I mean, why do we come in every day? Uh, and that's an important context for starting motion planning. You ha do have to know what that is. Um, but it's not a complete value proposition. Or um, I think we sometimes have to we sometimes have to get some of that language in place first before we can begin Hoshin planning. But what Hoshin does is it says, okay, given that, um, let's look out three, five, ten years, whatever the industry and the organization and the current conditions will tolerate, let's look out as far out as makes sense and, and paint a very concrete picture of what the future should look like for us as a company in that, given this mission. And then we build a pathway to that, and the pathway is full of boulders, and it's full of smaller stones, too. But um, we can knock off the, the smaller obstructions or obstacles in the way with process improvement, good lean practices, but uh, Hoshin planning is deployed to, to take out those big boulders that are in the way, and they're often either um, substantial gaps in a capability of some kind that we're going to have to have in order to do the the, the view that we have five to ten years from now, some some capacity we simply don't have, or something that is so broken, the way we do it now that it has to be repaired in a really fundamental way. So, something qualifies as a hoshin, right? A hoshin is one of those boulders you've decided on the pathway you're going to go after as an organization. It qualifies if it, if it has three features. It's, it requires a fundamental change in systems. Uh, it's going to involve most of the organization to get it done, or affect most of the organization. Uh, and it's going to take the organization to its next level of performance. It's a step change. It's not incremental improvement. And so we can't get it done typically by treating it like uh, any other lean or process improvement project. It's a, uh, as a result, Hoshin, Hoshin planning is done in the, by, by the leadership community. It's done by the leadership team and the Hoshin uh, that big boulder we're going to remove is, is sort of chosen through the use of data 
the processing tools like affinity diagrams and interrelationship diagrams, all those, you know, all the toolboxes, sure. all the stuff in the toolbox, and dialogue and a well-functioning leadership team uh, to get that done. So when we pick a Hoshin, often it, it provokes a bunch of leaner process improvement projects that have to get done as part of it. And that's the relationship, they're sister methodologies uh, in a way, they're compatible with each other. So um, what we want is that our lean and our process improvement projects are aimed at the most important thing on the pathway that we've chosen that we really have to do uh, to move forward, right? So we, want, we don't want to work anything that's outside that path. And that's where, I, and I'm glad you mentioned that because as you were talking, I was thinking about, we helped clients, it was a particular client I'm thinking of, um, and part of it was we said, all right, listen, get all of the projects all of your teams are working on, quality, engineering, you name it, and we'll put them up on a wall. And, you know, affinity diagram, pick chart, and the interesting thing was they had a lot more projects than they <laughs> even knew. And a lot of it was directionally incorrect mm -hmm. because it was somebody's pet project that they convinced their boss that it was a good idea, and it, you know, so there were all these like kind of uh, you know tool room, uh, you know, skunk works kind of things mm -hmm. that you know. It, it, we, so we put them up on this whiteboard, and, and a bunch of the managers are like, "We will, even if that works, we, that's not even our business. We are never, ever, ever, ever going to mm -hmm. do that." So Why what happened to them? Did uh, they go away? Oh yeah, the projects the projects went away, and and I hope like we didn't help them with that part, so I'm hoping that it was handled tactfully <laughs> instead of just be like, what are you doing? You know, don't do this. Um, so I mean, Hoshin planning um, requires what I would call radical prioritization, and it, it's it's uncomfortable for a lot of organizations. It's a degree of prioritization that they they are not accustomed to doing, and um, it can make people at all levels in the organization kind of uncomfortable. We spend a lot of time talking about what we are doing and what we can do and what we want to do. And we spend very little time talking about what we won't do, what we're not going to do, um, you know, what we shouldn't do. And so that can be a tough uh, cultural fit for most places. It's a, it's a, it's a tricky dialogue. But um, the goal for Hoshin planning is that we would, um, you know, we make a contrast between initiation and completion. You know, sometimes I'll arrive at an organization and the CEO will tell me, we've got you know, eight to 10 initiatives. And I say, well, that's great. But which one's going to get done, right? I mean, mm -hmm. they might all get 10 to 20% forward this year, right? But the very word itself, initiative, suggests that we're going to start it, but we're not super focused on finishing it. And with Hoshin, you are really saying in a 12 to 18 month period, we're going to knock this ball out of the park, right? We're gonna we're gonna take a Red Sox bat to that thing, and <laughs> we're we're gonna finish it um, because it's essential to our progress moving forward. Um, but th it's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of places. And I think that's a very key point, Lisa, because you I see it all the time, and I think you're right because there's this innate. I don't know if it's human nature or what, um, that we feel, it seems like we feel better if we have 10 things, 20% more done versus we pick the top three and now they're 100% done at the end of the year. Why is that? I mean, I'm not a psychologist, I don't know, but I, I think it's true. I think, I, I mean, I see among executives some thrashing on this dialogue often in the, in the, in the you know, in the closed door sessions where they'll, they'll be, <coughs> excuse me, 
I think there's a worry that if we don't do this thing, it, it will go away permanently as an opportunity for the organization. It's just going to be gone. We won't be able to do it later. And maybe, the, you know, that's okay. But it doesn't feel that good. I think there's also a concern, my goodness, if we're only going to pick one, we're going to pick this ocean. If we're going to put these other two or three, we're going to stack them up, and we're going to you know, we're going to stage them next year, the year after, and the rest we'll put in maintenance mode or some up, we, you know, we're going to dispatch these differently. Um, the, con, there's a lot of worry that we're going to pick the wrong one and that I'll be personally blamed, right, if I'm a leader. And uh, But the, the methodology, the process, the tools, the dialogue, a careful, structured, high-quality dialogue on a functional leadership team is not going to let that happen. They're not going to pick the wrong thing. I've never seen it happen in 25 years. Nice. They, they, they will pick, you know, they'll pick the right thing. Um, I mean, during the pandemic, a lot of those um, oceans moved around, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of the boulders that, you know, we were going to knock off next year or the year after moved right up front and center. Anything to do with digital, di making the business digital, for example, um, uh, was moved to the front row, right? Um, yeah. It, it, right, and and I would, I'm not a psychologist either, so I don't know. It, it, you know, I can only assume it's pressure. And I'm I'm thinking back to when like I was a mid-level manager at an aerospace, you know, tier like top aerospace manufacturer. There there did seem to feel like uh, pressure to always be doing everything. Mm -hmm. You know, and I would make the statement, well, we can't do everything all the time. And it always went over like a lead balloon because people, just, you know, managers, directors, they just didn't want to hear that stuff. And I don't know, but you know, probably a lot of it's political, you know. So they at least, well, we can at least say that we're working on it. And I'd rather take, you know, getting yelled at because we're not moving fast enough, versus, you know, potentially career-ending that I completely stopped these things, even if you can reliably explain why you picked this one or these two or right, the, you know, the vital few, not the trivial many. Mm -hmm. Right, so maybe that's part of it, and maybe we got to get better at having those conversations and 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 teaching, you know, the C-suite folks. Like, listen, we've got a hundred things on the to-do list. We are never ever going to get all these things done. What are the best ones? And I think maybe it's that fear of what if we pick the wrong one? We're going to look silly or stupid, and you know, then bad things are going to happen. So maybe it's a security blanket. I'm not sure. We can explore that. <laughs> That'll be your next, you know what? I, I That's my request for your next book. <laughs> the reasons why. But I'll tell you, what my attention span is drawn more and more and more. I mean, the, the, my, the perspective on ocean planning that intrigues me the most is that is where the, you know, the intersection between, um, you know, concrete strategic planning, ocean planning, which produces a large amount of change, and the social dynamics that that come about as a result of that. I mean, it's really, um, ocean planning will provoke change at a, at a level that will be felt by the organization and um, leading that change is essential. It's the social side of it. You know, the cultural side of ocean planning is fascinating. I mean, it's, it's just not enough to make a good X matrix and map it all out. That's not going to get it done, right? Right. Oh, you said the X matrix. Oh, we love our X matrices. <laughs> I don't know. It's like a love-hate relationship. I, I, I have yet to find it to be an essential tool, to be honest. Yeah. It, it, although it's fun to do, I think, um, yeah. I mean, it, it's cool looking. It is. It is, but it's... Man, when you put that in front of somebody who doesn't know exactly what it is, yeah. I, you can almost see like 
the vapor lock in their head. They're like, I don't know what this thing is. There's a lot of information on there. It's, it's hard to hook people into it who haven't made it. There's something I say a lot, people support what they help create. And you know, just how many people can create that X matrix at the same time, and then you start circulating that around. But but it's a handy tool, honestly. Yeah. There, there's, um, there are what we call like the big matrix. Some, I had uh, one client called it the big matrix. That's in the book, hmm. and you know it's it's a little hard to access if you didn't create it. But it's it's part of it. There are the flag charts and all the uh, important technical pieces. I I speak to those as well. Um, there's a chapter on measurement that's got the you know the classic uh, and examples from clients of how to sort of map out um, you know all those. Dr. Kao did um, you know almost an encyclopedic book on all the the X matrices and the matrices and so on. It's all in there. But when at the end of the day, organizations are made up of people, and um, they still have to do something every day that. Uh, hopefully feels satisfying and is heading in a direction that everyone wants to go, right? Yeah. So, AX Matrix, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I'll, I'll go there with the with any nerd talking about the <laughs> X Matrix. But it, it's generally, it's not the kind of thing that's really going on when within the leadership team is deciding what they're going to work on next. Right. Yeah. So if it, so, your book is available everywhere fine books are sold, right? It's on Amazon. Amazon, okay. It's on Rutledge. It was published by CRC Press. All so right. it's on uh, Rutledge.com. It's on Amazon.com. It's I don't know why, but the price on Amazon is much is lower and changes every day. It's some kind of hmm. algorithmic phenomenon. Um, yep. Okay. And if somebody wants to connect with you or mm -hmm. get to know more about you. You have your website, your LinkedIn profile? Uh, LinkedIn, or they can go to bclearning.com. Okay. It's businesscenteredlearning.com. All right, and I'll link to all this stuff in the show notes too, so people, you know, it makes it easy, especially if they're driving, you know, they're not trying to do this now, that when they stop <laughs> later, they can just hit a button, so. Well, this is a lot of fun, we should do it again. Yeah, you know what, open invitation. At least anytime you want to hop on and come back on the show. And yeah, yeah. Just, just shoot me a text. Yeah, I love hearing about your work. I look forward to talking again. All right, thank you very much. All right. Have care. a good rest of the show. Thank you, you too.